Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, uh, we're going to start uh, going through that book and uh, taking a look at that. And uh, before we do that, though, let's go ahead and go, Lord, in prayer, and then we'll dig into our study. Heavenly Father, we do come before you this morning. Lord, we thank you once more for this opportunity to be here. And Lord, this morning as we study your word, I pray that you might uh, speak through me as I share your word with your people. Lord, that uh, you might, your spirit might encourage each one of us and that, Lord, we might uh, fall more in love with you this morning. We thank you for all the sacrifices and all everything that you've done for us, Lord. And as we look at this at this chapter in this book, Lord, I pray that, Lord, your spirit would just reveal things to us and encourage us in it. And so we thank you for this study this morning. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters that are persecuted throughout the world right now. Lord, we pray for uh, the Syri- situation going on in, in uh, Syria, Lord, with the, uh, with the Kurds and, and the uh, Turkish soldiers, Lord, all the stuff that's going on there. Uh, Lord, we just pray for believers that are there that you would, your hand of protection would be upon them. Lord, we pray for those that uh, can't share their faith openly wherever they're at. Lord, we pray that you might encourage them. Lord, those that are suffering, uh, those that are being persecuted, we pray for them. We pray for their loved ones, their families. And Lord, we do pray for their persecutors, Lord, that they would come to faith in you as well. And Lord, we also want to lift up our community. We pray that uh, this coming outreach that we do on October 31st, Lord, that it would have an impact for eternity. Lord, we know that it's a pagan uh, pagan celebration, Lord, and, and we're not celebrating it the way the pagans are, Lord. We're using it as an opportunity to minister your love and your grace uh, to those that are coming out, Lord, that we might show the love of Christ to them and that, Lord, they might uh, be introduced to you and that, Lord, lives would be impacted for eternity as a result. So, Lord, we just pray for that outreach. We pray, Lord, that we would uh, be able to hand out tracts, Lord, that they would be read and that your spirit would speak through them. Lord, the interactions that we have with individuals that come, Lord, that we can minister your love and your grace to them. And, Lord, that we would see our community transformed uh, for you, Lord Jesus. And so we thank you this morning. We ask your blessing now on the study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Leviticus. I just want to give you an introduction, a little bit of an introduction. I don't like doing those real long introductions and stuff and going all kinds of details. But we do know uh, that uh, at this point, the children of Israel, uh, they have been redeemed from uh, slavery in Egypt. We had the last Old Testament book we went through was Exodus. Exodus is all about redemption. And so now the children of Israel, they are in the wilderness. They've been delivered from Egypt. They're in the wilderness. In fact, they're at Mount Sinai at this point. And uh, they have become a nation. They've received the law. Now God is forming them into a nation. The book Leviticus, it literally means pertaining to the Levites. Uh, the Levites was a tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel that were set apart. Uh, they were set apart from the rest of the tribes, but they were also set apart to God. And so this book, Leviticus, it's really all about separation and consecration. First for the Levites, of course. It was guidelines for them, laws for them and the children of Israel. But there's a secondary application for you and I. 
You might say, because you're like, why are we going through the book of uh, Leviticus? Well, we've been delivered from our Egypt, right? Egypt is a picture of the world. And you and I, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've been delivered from slavery to sin and death. And we are called to be set apart from the world, just like the Levites were. And we're called to be set apart to Christ. And so this book is very applicable for us. Peter says this, 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're a holy nation. We're a royal priesthood. And so this pertains to us as well. Now, there's one thing when we go through the book of Leviticus, and I don't know if you've ever read the book of Leviticus or not, but there are certain phrases or words that repeat over and over and over again, and I just want to kind of touch on them for a moment before we dig into chapter 1. One of the phrases that you'll come across is the phrase, sweet aroma. It occurs about 16 times. I say about because I, 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 I was just counting them manually, so I, I could have missed one or two. But about 16 times, the phrase sweet aroma is mentioned in the book of Leviticus. What it means is an odor of rest, an odor that is acceptable to God. And I was thinking, well, how do, you know, how do you explain that? Well, I can tell you what an unacceptable aroma is. Have you ever been in a room or in a place where there's been an unacceptable aroma? It's not a place of rest. <laughs> you, you want to find out where that aroma is coming from? Who's done it? <laughs> what, what, you know? Um, okay, I'm going to, I got to share this story. <laughs> so I was in a uh, Target years ago and I was going to the pharmacy and I was looking for some medicine and there was an older gentleman and me in this in this one aisle all by ourselves and the poor guy must have had some real gastric problems because man I tell you um, he emitted an unacceptable order odor and uh, and then he went around the corner and just then a lady walked into the aisle and I'm standing there and she looks at me and she goes that's disgusting and I said, it wasn't me <laughs> So you guys get an idea, right, what an unacceptable aroma is. A sweet aroma is like, you know, you go into a house and there's baked bread or something. It's just, uh, it's just restful. Well, the sacrifices that are acceptable to God, it's a sweet aroma to him. It's an acceptable sacrifice. So that's what it refers to. And I think Paul was even thinking about that in Ephesians 5, 2, when he talks about Jesus. He says, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet, uh, sweet smelling aroma. Christ's sacrifice was a sweet smelling aroma to God. It was an acceptable sacrifice. So that's one of the terms, sweet sacrifice. Another term that you'll see, in fact, sometimes right after sweet aroma, is an offering made by fire. That occurs about 26 times in the book of Leviticus. And fire in the Bible almost always, not always, but typically, is a picture of judgment. And so sacrifices always involve fire, always involve judgment. Another term that's... Uh, uh, repeated over and in fact about 87 times is the term blood or the word blood why is 
you know, some people go, why, you know, every chapter is talking about blood and blood this and blood that and sprinkling blood. And it's just, it's so much. It's so, it's so bloody. In fact, if I was British, I'd say turn to the bloody book of Leviticus, but uh, I'm not, so I won't. Um, but, uh, oh, by the way, so there's a, uh, I remember a long time ago, I met this pastor of a, a rel rel rather large church, church in Rochester, and he was just talking to a few of us that were standing there, and he said this, and it kind of always, it always impacted me, but he said, I will never teach through the book of Leviticus. He goes, it's, the people would be so bored with it. And I thought, well, that's that's sad, you know. That's really sad that you don't you're not teaching the whole counsel of God. And so, you know, that's why we're teaching. Uh, but there is a lot of blood mentioned, 87 times in the book of Leviticus. Why is that? Well, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. There's a, there's something has to die as a result of sin. And in Hebrews 9.22, it says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. That means no pardon, no forgiveness, no freedom from sin. Blood has to be shed. It's the wages of sin. So that's why we'll see it over and over again in the book of Leviticus. The last word, and not the last word, but one another word that we'll see many times, in fact, 51 times, is the word atonement. It's the Hebrew word kafar. It means to cover or to shelter. And it's really the way that God mercifully shelters sinners from the punishment uh, for our sins. It's the way God provides shelter, atonement. Atonement is made when an innocent substitute, a representative, suffers and dies in the place of the guilty. The sinner is sheltered or covered by that death of the substitute. And you might say, well, why innocent animals? You know, there's all these animals that are getting slain, you know, getting, getting sacrificed. And why, why, did, why is all these animals? Well, the reason why is because Paul writes in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no man, there was no man that could substitute for your sin. That could be a substitute. So there had to be animals to provide that atonement under the old covenant until the perfect man, Jesus Christ, came. And then he paid that price for us. He was the substitute for our sins. He was the sinless man. Under the old covenant, atonement, it covered over, it placated or expiated, but it never removed. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then they would have not ceased, for then would they have not ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. So under the old covenant, as we read these, all these sacrifices, there's so many sacrifices. And every time, you know, there'd be, a, there'd be an atonement made by these sacrifices, but it never removed the sin. There was always, that's why you con continually did the sacrifices, because it never removed the sin under the old covenant. But under the new covenant, under Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ, it's his shed blood. It wasn't his life that atones for us. It was his death his blood that was shed, it removes sin completely. It satisfies eternally. And his sacrifice, as we mentioned earlier, it is 
or was a sweet smelling aroma an acceptable sacrifice to God for us. So that, those are the terms that we're going to come across and hopefully you have a little bit of better understanding as, as we go through these. So as you and I start looking into Leviticus and we'll be looking at chapter 1 this morning, I hope to present to you the purpose behind the different laws, the different sacrifices, the festivals, the different things that are commanded in the book of Leviticus. We'll look at the procedures that are written right there for us, but we'll also see pictures of Jesus Christ because they're throughout the sacrifices. They're throughout everything that we'll look at. There's pictures of Jesus Christ. And finally, there's also application for you and I because it's not just something to read and go, oh, that's kind of interesting. No, it, it applies to you and I as well. So the first law that we're going to be looking at here in chapter 1 is the law for the burnt offering. Now, uh, there's other scriptures that mention it. When we get to Leviticus chapter 6, uh, verses 8 through 13, we'll be covering it uh, in that chapter as well. Also in Numbers chapter 28, verses 3 through 29, and then also verse 39 deals with the law of the burnt offering. But let's take a look here, verse 1. Now the Lord called to Moses... And spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, When any of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. So the purpose here. The purpose of the burnt sacrifice or the burnt offering, it represents the worshiper's total dedication to God. That's what it represents, a total dedication to God. Now, on the national level, it was mandatory. It was mandatory on the national level. Uh, during the, uh, in the tabernacle, they were to offer it. They were commanded to offer it daily. Every morning and every evening, there was a burnt offering sacrificed. On their festivals, the different festivals of Israel, the festival of the new moon, the Passover, Day of Atonement, Feast of Trumpets, Feast of Booths, all these different festivals that the Jewish people had on their calendar, burnt offerings were required during those times. When they were dedicating something to the Lord as, if, as, as the priests or the temple itself, later when it's built, there would be burnt offerings that would be required. So on the national level, it was mandatory. But on the personal level, it was voluntary. It was an act of worship, dedicating oneself to the Lord. And if you think about it, it has to be voluntary for it to be meaningful, uh, you know, voluntary sacrifice. So what's the procedure? Well, let's take a look at a few of these things. In verse 2, you'll see, it says, You shall bring your offering of the livestock of the herd and of the flock. Now, later on, we get further on into the chapter, we'll see that there's a provision for the poor. They could bring turtle doves or young pigeons. But the point is, in any event, you couldn't just, like, find some stray wild animal. You know, there's a stray dog or cat. I'll offer that. You know, you can just find a, or a dead animal, you know, grab some roadkill and bring it in and, and sacrifice that. No, it had to cost you something. It must be meaningful to you. Otherwise, it's a worthless sacrifice. It says in verse 3 there, let him offer a male without blemish. And right away, our minds are turned to Jesus Christ because it is a picture of Jesus Christ. He was the man without blemish, so to speak. 
Remember Judas, the one who, who uh, uh, betrayed Christ? Even he said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. So even his enemies proclaimed Christ's innocence. Pilate's wife told Pilate, have nothing to do with that just man. Pilate himself said, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. The Jewish leaders, try as they might, they could not find any fault with him. You know, if anybody could find fault with you, wouldn't it be your family? I mean, yeah, I could put on a pretty good front before you guys, but when I get home, you know, my wife knows me. And she knows if I'm a flake or not, if I'm being a hypocrite or not. Well, his family never came forward to say, you know what? Yeah, Jesus is presenting this image to you, but really, let me tell you what he's really like when he's at home. No, they could never, they never came forward with any hidden fault or anything like that. And so Peter, in his first letter, 1 Peter 1, verse 18 and 19 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold from your aimless conduct, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So that the, the male, whenever you read that in the sacrifices, think of Jesus Christ, because that's what it's pointing to. It was preparing the children of Israel for the coming of their Messiah. That's all of these laws. Everything's pointing to Christ. It says he shall offer it of his own free will. And Jesus didn't have to die on the cross. He offered himself freely. You might think, well, wait a minute. In the Garden of Gethsemane, didn't Jesus pray, you know, Oh, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I mean, he said, if it's, if it's, if it's possible for me to not die, you know, let this cup pass. And yet, a little bit later, when Jesus was arrested after his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, Remember Peter pulled out a sword and tried to lop off? Well, he actually, I think he was aiming for the head, but he was a little bit off and nailed it, sli sli sliced off an ear instead. And Jesus said, put your sword away. He said, do you not think that I can now pray to my father and he'll provide with me more than 12 legions of angels? You see, Jesus didn't have to die on the cross. It was not possible for, there was no other way for us to be saved, for us to be forgiven of our sins. There was no other way but the death of Christ on the cross. And that's why the Father never responded to him, because it wasn't possible for any other way for you and I to be saved. But Jesus could have walked away. He could have not done it. Had he not done it, you and I wouldn't even be here this morning. We would have had no hope. I don't know how many of you like well, I'm sure most of the ladies here like diamonds. Any, any woman here doesn't like diamonds? You don't like diamonds? Wow, there's one woman here that does not like diamonds. Okay, she might like other gems. <laughs> we won't single her up. Anyways, um, you know, diamonds or gemstones, they're beautiful, right? Every facet, you turn them and there's, there's dazzling light when they're cut, of course. There's dazzling light that, that reflects gloriously. Well, like facets of a gemstone, there's so many pictures of Jesus in what we're reading. You know, at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord there, it mentions that that's where the sacrifice is to be taken at the door. You know, not only is Jesus pictured in the sacrifice, he's the, he's the lamb or the bull or the, you know, without blemish or spot, but he's also pictured in the priest who's sprinkling the blood of atonement at the altar. But he, not only that, he's even pictured in the tabernacle itself. In this case, the door. Jesus said, John 10, verse 7, 
Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians 2.18, for through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. See, nothing's arbitrary. Nothing's like coincidental. It was all the point to Jesus Christ. Verse 4 says, Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on behalf to make atonement for him. Now, it was generally believed that it was the right hand, but the Jewish writers generally thought that it was both hands that were placed on the on the animal. I I don't know which is right or wrong, but but the Jewish writers said it was both hands that were placed. What was the purpose for placing your hands on the animal before you sacrificed it? There's a couple things that are taking place. First, there's a transferring of sin. When you're putting your hands on your sacrifice that you're bringing to the temple or to the tabernacle, I'm transferring my sins onto this innocent animal. So there's a transferring taking place. There's also an identification taking place. This animal that's taken my sin, now it's, now it's dying in my place for me. What a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. There's identification and transfer that took place at Calvary. Paul said in Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Isaiah 53, that whole chapter about Jesus, verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we're healed. And then finally, Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So that placing the hands on the animal, it's a picture of what takes place when Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. Well, let's look at the rest of the procedure. Verse 5. He shall kill the bull before the Lord, and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into its pieces. The sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood on or in order on the fire. Then the priests, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, the heads, and the or excuse me, the head, and the fat in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash its entrails and its legs with water. And the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So if the person didn't have a bull, you know, maybe you couldn't afford a bull. Provision was made to offer a sheep or a goat. Look at verse 10. If his offering is of the flocks, of the sheep or of the goats, as a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring a male without blemish. He shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord, and the priests Aaron's sons shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar. Then he shall cut it into its pieces with its head and its fat, and the priests shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash the entrails and the legs with water. Then the priest shall bring it all and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. But what if you were really poor and you couldn't even afford a lamb or a goat? Well, provision was made for that as well. Verse 14. And if the burnt sacrifice of his offering to the Lord is of birds... Then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or young pigeons. 
The priest shall bring it to the altar, ring off its neck, or excuse me, ring off its head, and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out at the side of the altar, and he shall remove its crop with its feathers and cast it beside the altar on the east side into the place for ashes. Then he shall split it at its wings, but shall not divide it completely, and the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So, you know, the burnt offering, it's not only a picture of the sacrifice that Christ made for you and I on our behalf, but it's also applicable for you and I. Paul says this in Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Setting ourselves apart from the world and setting ourselves apart to Christ, offering our bodies, our lives, ourselves as a living sacrifice. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 6.20, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Peter in his epistle, 1 Peter 2, 5. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So it's applicable for us in, in, a, in a sense. There in verse 5, if you go back there a little ways, it says, He shall kill the bull before the Lord. So what's taking place is, if you think, the person that's bringing the animal, they're the ones, they lay their hands on the head of the animal, confessing their sins. Their sins are transferred to the animal. They're identifying with the animal. And then the person that brought the sacrifice, they're the ones that slit the animal's throat, except in the case of the birds. The birds, the, the priest would do it. Um, are you, aren't you glad I didn't get an actual picture? You know, if you look on the internet, you can find stuff, but I didn't like, oh, that's okay. We won't make it too gross. Um, why would the person have to do that? You know, it'd be a lot easier to just say, here's my animal, you <laughs> take care of it and deal with it, you know? But I have to participate with it. I actually have to, because it has to, it has to be brought home to me that it, it's my sin. I'm the one that's, that this poor animal is suffering for because of what I did. And so there's a seriousness. It drives home the seriousness of what's taking place. Then the priest, of course, would take care of the rest of the procedure. And notice that he shall kill the bull before the Lord. You and I, our sacrifices are to be before the Lord, not before men. You know, sometimes... We go, look, you know, we might want to put on a show. Look at what I'm sacrificing for the Lord. I'm giving up this. I'm doing that for the Lord Jesus. And we get our sympathy or we get our attention or whatever. The Pharisees did that all the time. People may not even know what you are sacrificing to the Lord, what it is that you're laying down on the altar for the Lord. Lord, I'm just, I'm just surrendering this to you in my life. People may not have a clue, but guess what the Lord does? He sees what you're offering to him. It's meaningful to him. Skip over to verse 7. It says, The sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire on the altar. And as I mentioned earlier, fire is a picture of judgment. And then the sacrificial animal is laid upon the wood on the altar. 
And of course, that would be foreshadowing when Christ would be laid on the cross for you, uh, for your and my sin. And then he would absorb the fire of God's judgment on himself instead of us in our place. And then verses 8 through 9, there's some really extract or exacting details for the parts of the animal that would be burned on the altar, you know, what to do with them. Well, the head is mentioned. And I, and right away, I think of it speaks about the mind or the will or the purpose or authority. And that's what a head is pictured of for me. Jesus said in John 6, 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus, he just submitted his will. He laid it on the altar for Jesus, for, for the Father on our behalf. Sometimes that's kind of a sacrifice for us, right? I'm going to set my will aside. Lord, I want to I lay my will, my purpose, my ambitions. Lord, I'm laying them on the altar for you. That could be a hard thing to do for some. Then they would take the fat. What is the fat picture? Well, the fat speaks of excess or abundance. And, you know, in a sense, that would vary from animal to animal, right? You'd have some animals that were maybe not as fat and some animals that were very fat. I was sharing with a couple guys on Wednesday night. I don't know if they're here or not, but I had a friend that used to work on a turkey farm. And I don't know if this is true or not, but he told me this story. He said, you know, if you ever drive by a turkey farm at night, the lights are always on. And he goes, you know why? And I go, no, I don't know. He goes, that's because they feed the turkeys. When the lights are on, the turkeys eat all the time. So as long as they're awake, and I'm the same way. If I'm awake, I'm always eating. You know, I'm always hungry, snacking and stuff. Well, they do that with the turkeys. They keep the lights on 24-7, seven, seven times a week, seven days a week for, for uh, you know, however long they do. And, they, and so the turkeys are eating and eating and eating, and they're getting fatter and fatter and fatter. And he says, then it comes time to slaughter them. You know what they do? I go, no. They go, turn out the lights. <laughs> they, they haven't slept for like weeks and they just fall over. He goes, you just walk over to your gunny sack and pick up the turkey and throw it in the bag and bring it to the slaughterhouse. I'm like, wow, that's, I'm really wanting turkey for Thanksgiving. That sounds really good. <laughs> yeah, interesting. So some, going back to the fat. <laughs> for some animals, there'd be more fat than others. And again, this speaks of excess or abundance. You know, there was a young man that went to Jesus, and he was pretty serious, and we find out that he was a rich, young ruler, and he was a very observant Jew, and he wanted to know how to get to heaven. Matthew 19 records it in verse 16 through 23. It says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God, that is, uh, no one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said to him, surely I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. That can be hard for some people to, to lay down on the altar, to sacrifice the Lord, to surrender to the Lord, say, Lord, this is yours and that's our excess. 
our abundance. Maybe it's our material possessions or our wealth. It can be a real struggle to sacrifice, to lay that down before the Lord. The washed entrails. Notice that they're washed. And I think it speaks of inner purity. The legs are washed. It speaks of our walk. You know, wherever you go with your walk, and, and whenever you talk about or read about the walk in the Bible, it's talking about a daily life, how you live your life. Well, we look at Jesus. John 1, verse 14, John writes this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I mean, these guys walked with Jesus. They slept in the same place with Jesus. They ate with Jesus. They talked. They, they, were, they were there in public, and they were there in private with Jesus. And they saw a pure life. They never saw any sin. They never saw any contradictions in his character or in his personality. He was the same, consistent and transparent. Notice that the animal was totally consumed upon the altar. This is the only sacrifice, by the way, that is totally consumed on the altar. Actually, there's a drink offering that's also, we'll get to that when we get later on, much later on, I guess, but of the sacrifices here in Leviticus, this was the one that was totally consumed upon the altar, except the bull hide. Evidently, the bull hide, they would skin the bull, and, uh, and then the animal was, was uh, burnt on the altar. But the rest of the animals, the sheep and the goats and the birds, they were burnt in whole on the altar, um, except the bull hide. The bull hide went, probably went to the priest. Maybe they used it for leather or something. Um, but the point is, none of the sacrifice remained with the person offering the sacrifice. It all, it all, it was like, it's not mine anymore. It's all to you, Lord. Of course, the birds, I guess, they were totally consumed except for the crop with its feathers. And the feathers, it says it was cast to the east of the altar. It was the farthest way away from the altar. And I think there's a picture here. You know, we can't offer what is unclean and acceptable to God. And I think it's a picture of sin, works of the flesh. Those things don't please the Lord. We can't offer them to the Lord. Notice in verse 11, it says the sheep or goat would be killed on the north side of the altar. Again, I think that's significant as well. Psalm 48, verse 2, beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. Calvary was actually on the north side of Jerusalem. So we see pictures throughout this. So if you were there in Jerusalem or Israel at the time, actually they'd be in the wilderness at this time, if you were rich or poor, it didn't matter. Bulls, sheep, goats, turtle doves, or young pigeons, they were all accepted by the Lord. And I think about some of us. Some of us have great talents or maybe we have a, a high position, or maybe we have great wealth, or, or we've just got a ton of abilities, and we can offer those to the Lord as a burnt offering, dedicating it to the Lord. This is my life. I'm giving it to you. But you might say, you know, I don't have anything significant to offer the Lord. I'm just, you know, I don't have that much to offer. You can offer what you have to the Lord as well. It's interesting. A rich person couldn't offer a bird if they could afford a bull or sheep or a goat. That wouldn't be accepted. On the other hand, 
A poor person didn't have to offer a bowl of sheep or goat if they were unable to. You see, because the Lord was less concerned with what was offered than in the heart and the mind of the person offering it. That's what mattered to the Lord. And that's what matters to the Lord today. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8.12, For if there is first a willing mind is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. What do you have to lay to offer before the Lord? The burnt offering for the individual, I mentioned for the, for the nation it was mandatory, but for the, for the individual it was completely voluntary. The Lord didn't require to the individual. However, you'll notice he gives some very exact, if you're going to offer a burnt offering, this is how you do it. And he lays it out in exacting details. And there's too many people that decide by themselves, this is what I want to offer to the Lord. This is what I want to hold back. I'm going to offer this, but I'm not going to offer that. And there's different areas in our lives we say, that I'm surrendering this to the Lord, but this, I'm keeping it. I'm hanging on to it. Some people decide, you know, this is how I'm going to offer myself to the Lord. And, and they, they, they make how they're going to do it. Well, that's, that's not how it works. God has a, a definite way for you and a definite uh, how we're to offer ourselves. Now, you just think back to, to Romans there. We're to offer ourselves a living sacrifice. I mean, the, our whole bodies, our whole lives are to be dedicated to the Lord, offered to the Lord. The burnt offering was completely voluntary. And I think of the picture here, you know, don't think that you're doing God a favor. Like, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to offer myself to God, and I'm going to really do God a favor, or I'm really going to bless God doing this. Our motive should be purely out of our love for him. The Bible says that we love God because he loved us first. Love should be our motive. You know, think about it. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, he held back nothing for you and I. He's the picture of the burnt offering. And, and you know, I've been pointing this out. Hopefully you're seeing that as we're going through that. But, but there's another aspect to this that I think sometimes we kind of maybe miss. God our Father held nothing back too in offering his son for us. Because, you know, if I, if, if, if I was in a situation where someone was, you know, I had a family, my young, young kids, my wife's with me, and, and someone comes up and they have a gun and they say, I'm going to kill one of you. You know, I would offer myself. It'd be a lot easier, but it'd be a lot harder. In fact, I couldn't offer, well, take my child or take my wife. I couldn't do that. That would be too great of a sacrifice for me. But think about God the Father. He did that. He said, here, you can take my son. And so he, Jesus, or God the Father, stood by while Jesus was maltreated, abused, humiliated, beaten, and sacrificed. And the Father just stood there. There's no greater love than that. There's no greater sacrifice that a father would make than to watch his child go through something like that. When It's like, you know, I'll do it myself. So we always look at Jesus and praise God that Jesus is the, Jesus is the picture of the burnt offering. He offered himself willingly. He held back nothing for you and I, but God the Father as well. You just see the love of God. Sometimes people separate Jesus the Son in the New Testament from God the Father in the Old Testament and say, well, God the Father in the Old Testament, man, he, he just wants blood and killing and he's angry and there's all these rules and regulations, but Jesus is the loving, peaceful. No, God the Father, it's God who sent his Son to die on the cross. It's God who loved the world 
that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us. Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us, how shall, we, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So the Lord God laid down everything for you and I. And God loves you. You know, I don't know if you're here today and you feel unloved. Maybe you feel like, man, nobody loves you. I can tell you right now that God loves you. And he proved it by sending his son to die on the cross for us. But he doesn't even demand that you surrender all to him. He doesn't, he doesn't demand that. Isn't that interesting? But let me ask you this. Why wouldn't I want to surrender all to somebody who surrendered all for me? That's why I want to go back to Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So Jesus Christ paid the price for us. You, you don't have to take your animal, your pet, <laughs> and bring it to the temple and have it sacrificed. Jesus Christ was the substitute for you and I. But he laid it all on the line for us. Why wouldn't we want to lay down our lives for him? And again, he doesn't demand it, but he deserves it. Why don't you stand up and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Next week we'll look at the grain offering and we'll, we'll move on from there. I kind of want to close with one, one, one thing here, and, and uh, I think I'm going to do something a little bit different here. I'm going to ask the elders to come up here. If you're an elder, could you just come up here in the front? And uh, what we're going to do, um, and then I'll have the worship team come up too, but the elders, we're just going to have you, um, you worship team can come on up too. You know, reading through this chapter, it's funny, as your pastor, you, you know, you study this and you go, Okay, I got to present this, but how do I live it myself? And to be honest, I don't think any of us, in fact, I know none of us have completely, 100%, fully submitted and surrendered ourselves to the Lord. None of us have, myself included. It's my goal, but none of us have. And sometimes, you know, when we go through a message like this, there's things that the Lord just reveals, hey, you've been holding this back. I want, I want you to surrender it. And so maybe tonight, today, Maybe there's something on your heart and the Lord's been speaking to you and it's like he wants you to just to surrender that, to lay it on the cross, uh, at the foot of the cross for him. While we're doing the worship, I'm going to invite you to come up and you can just grab one of the elders here and just, they can just pray with you. And, uh, and just, you can just lay it down at the altar this, this, this morning. Whatever it is you're going through, he's so worthy of, of everything. And so let's, let's just surrender all to him this morning.